Welcome to New Covenant Church. You're listening to this week's message by Executive Pastor Chris Valdez. Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. If you're a visitor, welcome. We're so glad that you're with us. Well, as if you were here last week, you heard me share a few uh, tips before we got into the message on prayer on mealtime prayers. And I promised that this week we'd look at some more. Um, and just a disclaimer that these are jokes. <laughs> They come from a Christian comedian named John Christ. If you haven't ever heard of him, you can uh, Google him and, and listen to him online. He's got a lot of good uh, Christian comedy out there. But he talks about mealtime prayers, just how they can be so confusing. You know, when do we pray? What do we pray? How do we pray? Who prays? Uh, so we're going to look at a few more of those questions this morning. The first one is coffee. Do you need to pray for your coffee in the morning? You may have never considered that. Uh, but just want to assure you this morning, there's no need to pray for your coffee. You can pray with your coffee, and I'm sure uh, many of us do that in the morning. It may be the only way we can pray in the morning, but uh, you don't need to, to lift it up in prayer. Uh, the next thing is, is kind of a confusing one. It's soup. What, what's the verdict on soup? Uh, well, you only need to pray for bowl-related soups. Um, if you're talking about anything uh, cup size or smaller, you don't have to pray. And there's there's just a little a little reminder that will help you remember if it comes in a cup, no need to lift up. <laughs> and then last but certainly not least, hamburgers. See, you're probably thinking, well, that's a crazy question. Of course, you're going to pray for hamburgers. But uh, in the last few years, there's been a new addition to the hamburger world called sliders. So that kind of, you know, confuses people. And, you know, well, we always pray for hamburgers. What do you do with sliders? And these fall in the same category uh, that appetizers did, which we discussed last week. And that's if you've got an entree coming, then you don't need to pray for them. It's, it's like the appetizer. You just bless everything when, when the entree comes out. But if, if no entree is coming, then, yeah, you do need to, to pray for your sliders as well. I know it's a glitch in the system, but that's why we're talking about these things <laughs> this morning. Uh, well, I hope they, that helps you. Last week, uh, we looked at the parable of the persistent widow in Luke chapter 18. And if you have your Bibles this morning, you can go ahead and turn again to Luke chapter 18. We discussed that there were two principles in this parable. And what we focused on last week is how staying in prayer or uh, conversation with God allows us to not lose heart uh, and to stay encouraged. And this morning, we're going to look at the three parties that are involved in prayer. And I believe that this will also help us to stay encouraged and not lose heart as we go to the Lord uh, in prayer. And, and before we go into the Word this morning, I just want to uh, pray this morning. Dear Holy Father, uh, we just invite you and in your presence and the Holy Spirit uh, to be with us this morning, Father. And I, I believe for miracles to occur this morning, and one of those, Lord, is, is that you speak and we can hear. Lord, and I, I pray that for anyone here uh, that has gone through life and they don't know that they've ever heard your voice before, I pray that this morning they will hear your voice and that they will know that you are God uh, without a doubt, without a shadow of a doubt, that they will know that you've spoken them through your Holy Spirit and your word will change and transform their life forever. And we believe that in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, Luke 18, verse 1 uh, says, and he told them a parable to the effect 
that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but after a while he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Well, in this parable, we can clearly see that there are three parties involved. And again, Jesus is telling this whole parable about prayer. And at least for me, I usually think about two parties when it comes to prayer and often neglect the third. But the first party is God. And he's represented in the parable by the judge. And the second party is each of us. Uh, which is represented by the widow. The third party, though, is her adversary. The Bible tells us that the devil is our adversary. Uh, And in the story, he's just represented by the adversary. And we're going to look into each of these a little closer and how they affect our prayers and why I believe we should be encouraged by what we're going to find there. First of all, there's the unjust judge that represents God. But what we have to remember in this particular parable is it's a parable of negatives or opposites. Um, it's not it's, it's talking about the opposite of reality. Our heavenly father is nothing like the unjust judge. The unjust judge says to himself, I neither fear God nor respect man. But when Jesus contrasts this to our heavenly father, he says he won't delay long. He will give justice speedily. To just highlight some of the contrast between this unjust judge and our Heavenly Father, I want to point out a few details regarding uh, what judges at this time uh, would have been like and how those courts worked. In that day, the judge uh, would travel around and hold court in tents. And he would have presided over cases for the whole city. Uh, They would set their own agenda and about the only way to have your court case heard was to bribe one of the attendants. This widow had a couple of things working against her. First of all, uh, she was a widow. She was also a woman. She had no husband or son uh, to come and bring her case before the judge. So she actually wouldn't have even been allowed in the tent. She also had no money to bribe the attendant, so her case was not being heard. And judges, uh, even people or politicians and judges, you could argue, at this time can be argued and bribed and coerced, which was the same in that day. They were human beings. But on the contrary, our God doesn't rule over just a city. He is the, the king and creator and the ruler over all of heaven and all of earth. And he's above being argued or bribed or coerced have you ever tried to convince god of your case of how you wanted things to go of how it should work out uh, what you're praying for and why you know this is this is what i'm praying for it needs to be this way Uh, i shared in the first service that um, candy knows well that i like to argue 
And um, many, many times I've presented my case to her on different different things or disagreements or arguments that, that we might get involved in. And uh, I've also done the same exact thing with God. I had things that I wanted to be worked out and done the way that I thought they should be. And, uh, and I made my case to him in, in prayer and would say, you know, Lord, this is, this is what should happen. Can't you see that this is the best way that this situation could be worked out? Can't you see that this makes sense? You know, anybody would agree that this is the way it should happen. And, and I can honestly say that I don't believe any one of my cases before God had ever, have ever come my way. He doesn't answer the prayer the way that I want it to be answered or the way that I thought it should work out. His will is above my will. His thoughts are above my thoughts. His ways are above my ways. And, you know, this parable says at the beginning, Jesus says, if you pray, you'll be encouraged. You'll stay encouraged by praying, by staying in prayer. And after the first service, I had several people, uh, multiple people, actually, that, that kind of we talked about this. And we'll talk a little bit about it more. But that when we pray and really this 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 conversation that I'm talking to you about really falls into this category where I'm making my case before God and not receiving an answer that in my mind I was praying and I was seeking God, but it was all about what I wanted and how I wanted it. And what we'll find is if we don't get the answer to prayer that we wanted is the opposite of what Jesus said will happen. We'll actually be discouraged because we aren't, it's not working out the way we think it should. But it's not that God isn't upholding his side of the bargain. It's that we have wrong expectations. We have wrong requests. We're requesting things that are outside of his will. And it it might be something in his will, but the timing may be wrong. It may be something that's going to happen in a year or five years or ten years. Or it may be something that the answer is really just no. And we have to be willing to accept that, to know that. And uh, I was also reminded of of a conversation we're having with some of our our elders here. And uh, one of them just mentioned... Uh, the drought, and I think we were just talking about the weather and the drought and all that kind of thing that we've experienced, but he said, droughts cause the roots of trees to go deep. There's times that when we, you know, we just want whatever we want from God. We want it now. We want it in our timing and we want it all to work out. And when it doesn't happen exactly that way, we get offended and we get upset. But God may just be saying, you need some deeper roots. You need to wait. You need some patience. And what we don't know is what he's doing is good and it's for a purpose and he has a plan and it's bigger than what we can realize or see. So we're going to look at at these three a little bit closer. There we go. <laughs> Let's look at just a few other scriptures that tell us about our Heavenly Father and how He interacts with us in our prayers. In Matthew 7, 7 through 11, Jesus tells us a little more about prayer. Remember that prayer is conversation or talking with God. It's all about a relationship with Him. That's what He wants for us. That's what He wants with us is a relationship with Him where we can talk with Him and He hears us and we hear Him 
In Matthew 7, uh, verse 7, it says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? The Scripture is often misquoted uh, to actually justify the argument I was just making a minute ago that He says He's going to give me whatever I ask for. But that's not what it says. We can't take this Scripture out of context. Jesus Himself, along with other passages in Scripture, are very clear that our prayers have to align with the will of God. And before we look at the next Scripture, I just want to point out that the Scripture above says God will give us good things. Good things do not mean everything that we want. And oftentimes what we would describe as good, God would say, that's not good. Oftentimes, good things aren't pleasant. Vegetables are good for you. Exercise is good for us. Discipline is good. It's good to discipline a child. The child doesn't think so, but it's good. So when God promises to to give good things, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to line up with your idea of good. But I guarantee you, it's good. Look at 1 John 5.14. If if you don't have it in your Bible, it will also be on the screen. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. The word will here is the Greek word uh, thelema, and it means... uh, Will or active volition, which is referring to the power of using one's will, that God will use the power of his will to do good, to make his will be accomplished. Another uh, definition is, is good pleasure. It's God's good pleasure to do good for us. But again, what's the definition of good? It's not our will, it's his. This scripture is very clear that our prayers have to line up with his will. It's not about our will. We don't get to come up with our own plans and our own desires and then come to God and say, bless this. Bless what I decided. Bless what I'm doing. Bless what I did. It doesn't work that way. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he told them to ask for the Father's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this principle applies to Jesus Christ Himself. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, we read that Jesus Himself fell on His face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from Me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as You will. The Father's answer to Jesus' prayer was it's not possible. The cup can't pass. And Jesus submitted His will to the Father's will. If Jesus has a prayer that wasn't answered, 
that was in his earthly will. God, if there is any other way, if there's any other way than this path, please, let, let, let's go that way. But if not, let your will be done. And God's answer to his very own son, Jesus Christ, was, I'm sorry, son, there's not another way. But he was willing to accept the Father's will and walk it out. And when we come to God in prayer and we're asking God, Lord, this is my will. This is what I want. If there's any way that it could be this way, let it be. But not my will, but your will be done. Whatever you have for me, I know that it's good. Because you're good and I can trust you. And even if it's not what I wanted, it's not the way I wanted it, it's not what I had planned, but I know you're good and that's better. And we, we put ourselves in His hands. You know, I, I'm reminded of the, the story of when David fell in sin. I, th- I think it was when he counted all the people. And uh, the prophet, uh, I think it's Nathan, comes to him and and says, God's, God's going to judge you because, because you did this. And he gives them three options. But one of the options is that, uh, well, two are like, man, he's going to be chased around by armies and, and things like that. But one of the options is that God would, would send, send a plague or disease. And David's answer is, put me in God's hands. Because his grace and his mercy and he can be trusted. And I, I trust Him more than I trust being in, in the hands of people. And that's what we can have faith and confidence in when we come to prayer is, God, it may be difficult and these circumstances are crazy and I don't understand any of it. The situation that Pastor Daryl just brought up that we're praying uh, for, for that church who their youth pastor died. We have a funeral later today for a young lady that passed away from cancer in our community Uh, Emily at 30, it doesn't make sense. Virtually every Christian in this community was praying that she would be healed. And we don't know why that prayer wasn't answered. But I know God's good. And I know He has a plan. And whatever it is, I trust Him. As hard as that is, and as much as I don't like the answer that we got, He's the one in control. But we can trust that He's good and that He's faithful. So we can't take a passage like Matthew 7 out of context and say, if I don't get whatever I pray for when I want it and how I want it and have it line up with my expectations, then I'm going to turn away from God because He isn't living up to His side of the deal. It doesn't work that way. Can you see the heart behind that? My will be done, God, not yours. That's really We don't say it that way, but that's what we're saying. In our heart, we're saying, My will, God, not yours. That kind of thinking, that kind of heart isn't a heart after God. It's a selfish heart that puts us on the throne instead of God and it will never be honored. But God can use those times. It's not saying that we can't 
pray those prayers or we can't tell God what's on our heart. I know there's been times where I've been angry at God and yelled at God. And just like the couple of things I just mentioned a minute ago, I told tell this doesn't make sense. Why? He's big enough to take it. He's big enough to have that conversation with you. That's what prayer is. It's a conversation with God. And He'll have it with you. He'll have every conversation you want to have with Him. And He can take our questions. He can take our arguments. He's big enough. Jesus Himself laid His own desire down and as difficult as what laid before Him was, He prayed to the Father, not as I will, but as You will. That's the center, the heart of every true prayer. It's the center and the heart of every true conversation that we have with God. If we can come to that place where we can say, Lord, this is what I want and how I want it and what I think should happen, but not my will. Your will be done. God's not a genie in a bottle. Prayer is not a magic wand to be waved. Prayer is our means to a relationship, our means to a constant conversation with the Father, and we shouldn't abuse it. We should come humbly before Him and have a conversation and talk to Him and listen to Him and trust that His will be being done is the only thing that matters and it is what's good for us. As long as we stay in that conversation, the promise that we can hold on to, the promise that Jesus made to all who heard this parable can apply to each of us. That's if we continue in prayer, we will not lose heart. But we have to be in the right heart. We have to know and trust that whatever His answer is, that we trust Him. Jesus, in the depths of turmoil, asked the Father if there's any other way Let it pass. But the answer He received was there was no other way. But Jesus didn't lose heart. And He didn't turn away or fall away. And the reason is because He kept His eyes on the Father. He didn't leave the conversation. We don't need more words in our prayers. What we need is more of our Father's heart and our Father's mind. If we're praying the Father's will, we can count on our prayers being answered in His timing and His way. And we can also count on those answers being good for His kingdom and His glory and His honor, which also means they're going to be good for us. Next party and the last party that we find in this parable on prayer. Oh, I'm sorry. The next party is the widow. Just like God is not like the unjust judge, we're not like the widow. Consider the contrast. The woman was a stranger, but we are children of God. In Luke 11.13, right after teaching the disciples how to pray, Jesus makes this statement. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? We are not a widow who is a stranger to the judge who has no one to represent our case in court. No, we are children of God coming before a loving Father. 
2 Corinthians 6.18 says, I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Romans 8.14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And Galatians 3.26 says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Not only are we children of God, we also have a personal relationship in Jesus Christ that gives us confidence to come before our Heavenly Father. Hebrews 10.19 boldly proclaims, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed pure with water. We can boldly enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus Christ. And Romans 8.34 says, we have a representative in the presence of God the Father. Verse 34 Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. We are not a widow without a representative. Jesus Christ Himself is interceding for us, representing us before the Father. Hebrews 4.14 goes on to say, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Jesus was making a case from the lesser to the greater. If a poor widow got what she deserved from a selfish, unjust judge, how much more will God's children receive justice from a loving, heavenly Father? She had no access to the judge no one to represent her, but we have open access into His presence and can come in at any time. Ephesians 2.18 says, For through Him, Christ, we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. And Ephesians 3.12 says, In Christ we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. The widow had no friend in the court. She literally couldn't even get in the tent. All she could do was yell and make a nuisance of herself from a distance. But we have an advocate, a high priest who constantly represents us before God, our Father. And not only that, in Christ we are His children. The greatest contrast of all may be that the widow came to an unjust judge in a court of law with no one to represent her, but we can boldly enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus with the perfect high priest, Jesus Christ, ever before God interceding for us and come with confidence to our Heavenly Father, not in an unjust court before an unjust judge, but to our Heavenly Father 
before His throne of grace. As we read moments ago, Hebrews 14, 4, I'm sorry, 416 proclaims, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Isn't that good? (laughs) Knowing this, understanding this, encourages me. It makes me want to pray. It makes me want to come before a Father who I know wants what's best for me, wants what's good for me, and to have lots and lots of conversations with Him. And it makes me not want to lose heart because I'm encouraged to know that He's good and He wants what's best for us. And even if I don't understand it, it's good. The last party that's represented in the story is the adversary. The Bible calls the devil our adversary. In verse 3, Jesus refers to it when he says, the, the widow says, give me justice against my adversary. And the thing we always have to remember when we're in prayer is that our adversary is spiritual. Our adversary is never the other people we encounter on a daily basis. A lot of times we have uh, issues with people. Actually, that's the only thing we have issues with, isn't it? (laughs) Other people. But the Bible says they're not our adversary. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. 1 Peter warns us in 1 Peter 5.8, to be sober-minded, be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's our adversary. Ephesians 6.12 tells us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So our enemy is not flesh and blood. It's not the other people in our lives or in the world. It's the dark spiritual forces behind them. Not only is our enemy not who we see in front of us, but our weapons to fight them aren't physical either. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-4 tells us, For though we walk in the flesh, we, have not, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. I've got a question for you all here today. See, y'all may be able to beat uh, the first uh, group in our early service because not one of them could raise their hand. So maybe someone in here can. Um, who in here has convinced someone to change their life and heart um, and decision maybe in, in their political views by a post in Facebook. Raise your hand, wave it high. Not one here either? Uh, oh, he just walked out. Okay, he's, a, he's, a, he's back in the foyer waving, yeah. Huh? You've done it in person? Yeah. In relationship? 
There you go. There's, but that, what you're talking about is not in, not in flesh and blood. You were there representing Christ. And in person. Exactly. And so, but our, that's good. Praise the Lord. What we have when we do our Facebook post, Facebook is weapons of the flesh. We're trying to use something of the flesh. And like I, you know, I've, I've argued with many people. I haven't, when I'm arguing for my own opinion, my own way, I haven't had too many experiences <laughs> like he's describing. But when I'm talking to someone about God and, and the Holy Spirit's present, I have seen those hearts change and minds change. And that's a work of God. That's the supernatural power of God changing somebody and transforming their life and transforming the way they look at everything and taking them from death to life. Because that's a spiritual warfare. That's a spiritual battle. And whenever we think that we can have those battles in the power of the flesh and have a victory, we're deceiving ourselves. This Scripture should encourage us. Read that again. 2 Corinthians 10.3 For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. That should encourage us. Our weapons, prayer, our conversation with God have divine power to destroy strongholds. Ephesians 6 also goes into our spiritual armor and weapons in detail. But rather than consider other people who don't know God as our enemy or adversary, we should have pity for them. Because they don't know God. They don't have a relationship with Him. And unless He works in the power of His Spirit, they can't. They're being used by Satan to attack us. Rather than get angry or judgmental, we need to remind ourselves that they are flesh and blood. They are not what we are fighting against. Our enemy is spiritual. And in spiritual warfare, the weapons of flesh are totally useless. If we concentrate on the physical, if we are using weapons of flesh to fight our battles, we will eventually be overcome. We spoke last week where Jesus says, if you pray, you won't lose heart. You'll stay encouraged. And the opposite is true. If we don't pray, if we don't keep our eyes on God, we will get discouraged and we will lose heart. And the same holds true here. If we fight this battle in the flesh, we're going to lose. We're going to get discouraged. But if we fight the battle in prayer, we'll win. Our most effective weapon is prayer. Never attempt to fight the enemy alone. The widow knew she could not avenge herself. The adversary was too strong. So she went to the judge and persistently to get justice. And we cannot fight our enemy alone either. But even better yet than not being able to, why would we want to? We don't have to. God says He'll fight the battle for us. He's already won the battle. We can stay in constant communication with the Father, asking Him for His heart and His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven in every situation we encounter. And just like Jesus Himself found in the garden, it doesn't mean that we get the answer that we were looking for. But guess what? 
we'll get the Father's will. And that's the best we could ever hope for. Romans 8.28 says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. This is another one of those scriptures that's really misquoted and misused and people get really discouraged over because it doesn't feel like that's true. What do you mean it's all going to work together for good? This isn't good. (laughs) It's not working out the way I thought it would. But remember, what we think is good, what we call good, isn't necessarily what God is calling good. As I thought about that, it reminded me of something that I heard many times as a child. I'm sure many of you heard this uh, growing up, or maybe maybe it was from a parent, maybe it was some from someone else. But have you ever heard the statement, "This is for your own good"? Did what followed that statement was it ever pleasant? <laughs> Any that another right? Did, Did anything good (laughs) from your opinion ever follow this is for your own good? No. But it was for your own good. It was. Whether it was discipline or a spanking or I didn't get what I wanted when I wanted it. It was for my own good. And that's what God's saying. He's saying everything in your life, no matter what it looks like to you, It's for your own good. I love you. I'm taking care of you. It's in my hands. You can trust me. You can trust me. And as hard as it is, we can believe that it's for my own good. Job said, Yet though he slay me, I will trust him. If I lose everything, if he takes my life, I still know that He's good. And He has a reason for it. And that's the way that we can come to Him. Is trust Him and know whatever happens, He's good. And He has a reason. And He has a purpose. And He has a plan. And we may never understand it here. But what we can understand is by faith, He's good. He's good. Be encouraged this morning. Let these words encourage you this morning. Remember that we're called according to His purposes, not ours. Be encouraged to come boldly before the throne of grace, seeking the Father's will in prayer, in conversation, in relationship with Him, keeping your eyes and heart on Him and realize that every battle we fight, every enemy we face can be destroyed through our prayers, our conversations with the Father because they have divine power to destroy strongholds. There's a a Scripture in Psalms that Pastor Gerald shared with me after the first service. And he said he was reading last night. It's Psalm 41, verse 11. And it says, By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me. 
Jesus Christ on the cross, the devil thought he had won, but his enemy was not shouting in triumph over him when he rose from the dead in victory and could proclaim, Oh, death, where is your sting? Verse 12 says, But you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. We have been set in His presence forever. It's done. You can rest in that. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and Amen. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty. Amen. Will you bow your head and pray with me this morning? God, You are good. You are so good. We give You all praise and all glory and all honor, Lord. And I pray again, persistently, that eyes will be opened, ears will be opened, hearts will be opened this morning that have never heard Your voice before, that this morning, today, they will hear Your voice. And that by Your voice, they will be transformed forever. They will go from death to life in the name of Jesus by the power of the resurrected Christ. In Your name we pray. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information or to listen to past sermons, go to newcovenantlampasses.com.